0: welcome back to another episode of the Wellpreneur Online Podcast. This week, I'm talking to Adina Gregoire from SW Basics. SW Basics is this amazing natural skincare company. And Adina actually trained as a health coach, which is where I met her originally. You know, we both have a real passion for natural beauty. I guess, you know, my other business is actually teaching women how to make their own beauty products. So Adina and I initially got to know each other over just the fact that we love to make our own products. And so in this interview, it was actually really hard for me not to just talk about natural beauty products the whole time. But I had to stay on task. I did it for you because I knew not all of you are as crazy about natural beauty as I am. So we do talk about mainly how Adina has built her business. But of course, we talk about a bit of natural beauty too at the end because I just couldn't help it when you've got the two of us on that call. So, you know, I really like to talk to people that are bringing health and wellness in the world in a variety of ways. And Adina has this incredible product line that's gotten really great media coverage, amazing like celebrity endorsements. And they're just great, you know, fabulous, natural, high quality beauty products. And so I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about how a product company uses online marketing as well to get the word out. She talks a lot about how they use social media and then just general business building, how she's built her team and, and what's really worked for her. So I I love talking to Adina. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. But first, I hopped over to the U.S. iTunes store and checked out my latest reviews and I wanted to give a couple shout outs because this is my favorite review of all time so far and it's by Rick Gabrielli and he says, Amanda rocks the wellness biz. I just finished listening to all of Amanda's podcasts. I absolutely could not stop until I heard them all. Then I even went back and listened to four of them again and took notes. If you want an enjoyable, upbeat learning experience, jump in and subscribe today. Such a diverse group of experts too. A must, in all capital letters, for any wellness pro. I can't wait for the next episode. Thanks, Amanda and friends. So thank you, Rick. Woohoo, you win the award of my very favorite review so far. I'm going to take a picture of that and hang it in my office for days when I'm just feeling not so optimistic. So I really appreciate that. And if you want a shout out on the episode, you can go over and leave a review in iTunes because I love getting them. And also it helps me to get the word out about this podcast because iTunes publicizes podcasts that have good ratings and reviews. So it would really help me out. And just as one last reminder, as always, There are show notes for this episode. If you haven't gone back to my website, you can just go to wellpreneuronline.com slash 21 and you can get all the notes and links to the guest website and links to everything that we talk about. Plus you could leave me a comment or ask a question and and really engage with the community there. So that would be cool if you want to hop back to the show notes, wellpreneuronline.com slash 21. Okay, now let's jump into this interview about business building and a bit of natural beauty with Adina. Hi, Adina. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hi, Amanda. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) So, I wanted to have you on the show because most of the health and wellness entrepreneurs I've talked to so far are in a service business and you're not. You're selling physical products. <laughs> and not just any physical products, but really awesome handmade beauty products, which was we'll Oh, about thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, so and I remember that we met, gosh, when did we meet the first time? It was back at in Long Beach, I think. Oh my at gosh. Conference yes. years ago. Hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And um, since then, your company has just completely grown and changed and you've gotten amazing media coverage and you seem to have been developing this cult brand of really natural beauty products. So I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about your story and how you started the company.
1: Yeah. So after studying nutrition like you, when I graduated, I sort of felt I loved what I was doing. I was working as a personal trainer and a holistic health counselor, and it was really exciting to me. And it's a really, really amazing industry. I sort of fell into what I do now because of two reasons. The first is that it was very personal to me. I have very, very sensitive skin. I can't use most of what's on the market. And when I started getting healthier and started living more holistically, I felt like I was doing the same for my skin. I was switching to all natural products and Thought that I was doing everything better and that was one of the only, it was like one, the final connection that that wasn't being made for some reason. So it sort of forced me to get in the kitchen to solve the problem on my own and then once I did solve the problem on my own in the kitchen, it made me realize that, wow, this is really a huge Gaping void in the market that isn't being touched. So I think from being surrounded by holistic health counselors and people working with people on nutrition, I felt like, you know what, this is going really well, but the skincare industry is not going so well. There's not really a lot happening for sale on the shelves that would help people the way that, you know, the way that food is is starting to get better. So I felt like the products that I was making for myself should have been available for people. And I felt like it was just an opportunity. You know, I spent a lot of time doing research and looking around and making sure that I was right. <laughs> and mm-hmm. then, and then I kind of just went for it.
0: You must have had fears in the beginning. Like
1: I still have fears. <laughs> I have fears every day. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I started out really slow. I was working full time. I think I was really lucky that I had chosen to do nutrition because I use nutrition as my, not as my front, but as my main event for a very, very long time. So one of the things I did first was a lot of, I was doing workshops for nutrition. And then I just transitioned the workshops and started doing DIY workshops. And I think this was a really good way of gauging people's responses. And it was really scary even then. But back then I sort of got to go, I'm going to teach you how to make this stuff and I'm not selling it to you. And it was actually largely those workshops that made me decide to sell it because people would line up at the end of classes and be like, I want to buy this. I want to buy some, which was a little funny because I was teaching them how to make it. But it made me decide, oh, I should try to do this. And then even from there, I didn't I didn't take like a huge step forward from there. From there, I launched an Etsy shop. I did local farmers markets and flea markets. So I definitely did all the steps that aren't I mean, there's still, still the right steps forward, I think, but they're not these huge. It took me a long time to go to my first store. I would say that's like the big, the really scary thing, you know?
0: Right. I'd forgotten that. And I think a lot of people do when they see, like if people go to your website, it's gorgeous. And it just looks like you really have it all together. And you've got this whole big line of products. But that's really good to hear that you actually started out with just an Etsy store. I guess oh, yeah. just to test the waters and, and start to get customer feedback too.
1: Absolutely. And actually, a really interesting thing about that is I did horribly on Etsy. If I had just decided based off of Etsy whether I should move forward, I probably would have quit. Mm. But I think it was still a really good way of the way I ended up thinking about Etsy was getting to develop the line and the packaging sort of behind the scenes. Like it felt a little bit like no one knew that I existed besides my friends and family. And so I was like, okay, well, we're going to experiment with the logo and we're going to experiment with the packaging and we're just going to try a million different things. But if I hadn't had in-person workshops and markets and had just launched on Etsy and like sat and waited for us to become successful, I would have sat and waited a very long time
0: mm-hmm. I mean that's true of, in you know, general even, yeah and just yeah. selling services or anything online like you can't just put up a website and just assume people are going to come to you you still have to get out and oh my gosh and if hustle. everyone
1: knew that they would yes that's the number I think like a huge huge thing that took me a long time to learn you can't just like proclaim what you're doing and then think everyone's going to care even though they should you know they really should they should when you're doing feels something feels. awesome
0: yeah. yeah you're like come on guys I know you want this And it's also hard because sometimes, like, when you could just feel like you're promoting too much, like, you don't want to annoy everybody by promoting all the time. Totally. You know, but then at the same time, if you're not promoting yourself, well, who is? Then
1: you're not going to, exactly. The
0: main problem, Amanda, you nailed it. Tell us the big turning points. When did things start to really come together? Because I think you have, I watched one of your little videos online and you have a team in Brooklyn making yeah. products and
1: the thing that's nice about products is as far as self-promoting, it's a little bit easier because you just send people free shit. You know, that's it's a little bit different than when you're promoting a service, because when you're promoting a service, you can only really talk about it, right? But with products, I basically spent, I mean, still to this day, we send out so much, so, so, so many samples. But at the beginning, that's just what it was, right? Get it in the hands of everyone and anyone and try to see what they think and how it goes. So one big break for us was, well, and one of these things included sending it to press people. So one big break for us was sending it to Gwyneth Paltrow's team and she featured us. At this point, we may have actually still been on Etsy and they featured us. Amazing. We, we maybe had just switched over to a real site. And yeah, they put us on their website. And this was within, I mean, we were still hand doing our labels. We had no business being on there. <laughs> but it was huge. It was a huge deal. And I mean, it was huge sales wise. It's huge to this day, actually. This was in 2011 and still people still come to us having found us on there. But I think more than anything, the thing that it did is made us realize or made me realize I didn't feel ready, right? Like I didn't, I wasn't stoked on our packaging and I wasn't, there was a bunch of stuff I wanted to fix, but it sort of makes you be like, oh, that doesn't matter, right? It's good that we did it because- we wouldn't have been found if we hadn't just gone for it. And the tweaks happen. You don't have to like wait until you make it perfect to get people to see it. And from that moment, it sort of just kept... You know, we got picked up by other press events. And, and then store-wise, our big break was... Actually, my like an alma mater, I'd say, where I was working before quitting, which was One Lucky Duck in the city, the raw food, pure food and wine and One Lucky Duck. They're like a big raw food restaurant and they have an e-commerce site. And I was working in the office. I was working in the juice bar. And Sarma, the owner, took a huge like leap of faith on us and featured us on the site. And So basically, the last I- thing-
0: the last thing I heard, you said Sarma, the owner, took a big leap of faith on us. Can you kind of go yes. back and start like yeah, that yeah. sentence again? Yeah. And,
1: uh-huh. Yeah. So the second big thing that happened for us was our first store and it was from my boss at the time, Sarma, who owns Pure Food and Wine and One Lucky Duck. And I was working there and she she took a really big leap of faith on us and featured us in the store and we're still for sale on the store on their site to this day. But it was just such a big deal. When you get your first store and your first press piece. It's like the thing that that sort of gets you started, really. And from there, you know, other people find you and other stores find you and you're able to say, look, I'm in the store. We have this press feature. So I would say those are like the two big things that made, even if only mentally made us feel like, oh, it's really happening. Yeah.
0: And I think I love that you said before that you didn't feel ready to be on goop on Gwyneth Paltrow's site, you know, and you, there was still stuff you wanted to fix and you weren't at the point that you think somebody should be when they're there. And I think we all feel like that all the time. And how do you push through that? How do you make yourself do it anyway?
1: Well, largely for me, I think it was not wanting to do anything else. (laughs) Like I didn't, I didn't want to work for someone else. I didn't like working for other people. And you a little bit can't it's like now or never, right? When you when you have like a little bit of a fire burning under your butt, it feels like, oh shoot, I really need to do this or what, you know? Like I don't have a choice. I have to figure out how to make money with this or I'm gonna have to give it up. But the other thing is, I think I've never really been afraid. I don't find people in my experience to be as judgmental as we're afraid that they're gonna be. And so when we were starting out, it was a lot of just, me explaining what was going on so in my mind it would be man I'm really not happy with these labels and then what we would go on and tell people is these are handmade we literally drew these and printed <laughs> them ourselves and put them on your bottle and I think people aren't as scary as you think they're gonna be and I think the second each step that you take forward that where you realize that where you get, a general positive response or you get people not having the reaction you think they're going to have makes me kind of be like, oh, this is actually a lot easier. It makes you kind of realize that all the stuff that's going on in your head is just not real. It's your mm-hmm. own stuff. I think it pushes you forward. I will say that. I think, you know, me never thinking anything is perfect is what gets us to try to make it more perfect. But I don't think it it should ever stop you from doing the version that you have currently. And I think you should never, now I'm rambling, but I would never launch even now. I would never I've never looked at our stuff and been like, "Okay, now it's done." But there's a difference between thinking it's done and and being terrified that oh, my God, like, it's not perfect,
0: you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you just... So if you have handwritten labels or something, you just tie that into your story. If you're having an authentic brand or you can just kind of weave this stuff into the story of how your company's growing. And I think people really like the idea of supporting a small growing company, too. Totally. So you can play on that while you're, right. you know, maximize that while you're still small. Like you don't have to pretend you're a yeah. massive I company. Think,
1: honestly, I think I had good timing, but I think there's actually a, a wave of consumerism or in consumerism right now where people are tied. T- 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 Tired of like I think what fear comes from is looking at at brands that look perfect or people that look perfect and going oh my god I'm not like that so everyone's gonna see no one's gonna want it I actually think people don't want that stuff anymore I don't think we'd be doing well on it Yeah. yeah they want the story they want someone real they want someone they can trust and I think that's why we're doing well and in order to be able to trust the people you're buying from. They're going to be real, like there's going to be stuff in which they're going like, oops, that's not perfect, you know. So
0: we were chatting a bit before we started recording about day jobs and, you know, Mm -hmm. getting to that point, because for many of us and both you and me, you need to keep working to bring in the money while you're getting your business going. Yeah. But then there's that point. Where you decide if you're going to, you know, cut the tether and just go into your own business. So can you talk a bit about that when you made that leap?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was really hard. I don't know if this is the case for everyone, but it was way scarier than running the business itself. I definitely didn't feel ready. I think what what I felt like was a little bit of a it's now or never. Like, I can't do this on the side. I don't want to look back and be like, oh, yeah, I did that on the side of my day job for 10 years. And the second thing was I started noticing that when I was getting home, I couldn't finish the work. I think that was a big thing for me is I was like, I think I sort of was subconsciously waiting for it to be enough work to take up a full-time job because I wasn't, I know that I'm motivated enough that from the first day, I knew that from the day that I would quit, I would like really, really hustle to make it happen. But I didn't want to just like, you know, start on my first day and look at the computer screen and be like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, there's nothing to do and I don't even know where to start. It was sort of like I was building out the company and the job for myself. And until I felt like it was built out and really clear what I needed to do, I didn't want to go. But that doesn't make it any freaking easier. At least for me, it wasn't. It was terrifying. And it was, and you still, I still left and had days where I was like, oh my God, this was a horrible mistake. The thing that was nice about it is if I had needed to go back to work or if I had needed to I mean, I guess I was lucky because I was sort of freelance, right? So I could go pick up some personal training or I could work with nutrition clients. Like there was stuff I could have done if it got really bad. Right. Luckily it never did. But I think that having that sort of idea, like, you know, I've had friends who have done it and then they feel like they failed if they need to go back to getting paid for something else. But to me, that's just I would have thought of that as like getting money for the company, you know what I mean? Getting money to be able to do this again, I wouldn't have thought of it as like giving up or having failed. That's
0: such a great way to look at it is that, because I think a lot of times, you know, people do when you're getting a business going, it takes a while and you might have to go back and forth and get bridge job and get little things to bring in some extra income. And it's not like you have to give up. Yeah, your business dreams for the rest of your life it's it's funding like you said right. it's like getting investment in your business right. but you don't have to give away ownership you keep the ownership so it's I mean I think it's okay I think that's a really good yeah. way to look at it yeah well I was just gonna say for me because I you know in a way it's nice that you had been doing a little bit of freelancing before because yeah. I was also terrified but I'd come from like a corporate job where that's all I knew and I couldn't even right. imagine what life would be like not having to go to an office 40 hours a week. Like, I didn't even know what people did when they weren't, if they weren't in a corporate job. Like, that was just all I'd experienced. And I was terrified. And actually, now I'm like, wow, when did I have time to go to an office 40 hours a week? Oh (laughs) my God, totally. Totally. How do people do anything else? You know, like, Because it's so nice having that flexibility. But before I'd made that leap, I just I felt almost paralyzed. Like I just couldn't imagine what would happen once I cut. It was like a comfort blanket or, you know, that security of getting a paycheck every month.
1: Absolutely. I think it's definitely scary. And sometimes I caution against like, I don't know, I think you can hear people say stuff like this, or I used to listen to stuff like this. And it can encourage you to think that you're ready kind of sooner than you are, right? Like you're like, oh my god, well, if it's scary, I'm just going to do it right now. And I feel Mm -hmm. like actually the truth is stick out your job longer than you want to. Like I actually think we would have benefited for me staying maybe even another year. Now looking back, of course, I'm like, well, well, I had a really good year because I didn't do that. But Mm -hmm. I think that you have way more time than you think you do. This was some really good advice I got at one point, which was, it was the same thing. People always used to ask this guy who runs like four companies, like, how do you have so much time? How are you able to do it? And he was like, all you need to do is stop watching television. (laughs) It was so funny, but so perfect because I think it's sort of applies to everything that you do that you don't notice is not contributing to getting you there. Mm -hmm. So I actually think it is good to wait it out. It is good. I think we're really lucky that we were able to build out our businesses on the side. And I think if people were doing that more, they would feel way more comfortable leaving,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? And I think something else is like the amount of work that you have, I'm going to say this wrong, but the amount of work you have expands to take up the amount of time you have to do it. So like, you know, if if you've got to deliver something within two hours, you just sit down and you're crazy focused and you get something out the door. But if you have like two weeks to do that same thing, you kind of around and do research. And that I actually have found, especially in the beginning, because I used to be when I was working full time, I was just doing this on nights and weekends. Mm -hmm. And I was super efficient just because I had no choice. Like I just had to get stuff done for my business whereas as soon as I left my job I was still getting stuff done but it was taking a lot longer because I was just I didn't have any I didn't have those time constraints and so in a way I think it's you can actually get a lot done when you have that time pressure
1: totally I totally agree I think that's a funny One of the ways that that's applied to my life that's kind of funny is I used to write super long-winded emails to people. Like, Even if they were asking a question, I was just responding. I'd be like, oh my God, I'm really going to take my time with this. And now it's like, Once, Oh, I'm going to give you exactly the answer you needed. (laughs) And then I'm going to go on to the next thing because that's how much time like my job takes up in my life. So that's, I think that's totally right. You do as much as you kind of need to do, Mm -hmm.
0: you know? Mm hmm. So you'd mentioned before all this great PR that you've gotten and a lot of people are, are scared about that too I think putting yourself out there and sending samples and things do you just did do, do you have an agency do you do it yourself and if you do it yourself do you just like go on people's websites and look up their contact and mail them stuff?
1: Yes so at first that's exactly what we did. It's actually much easier to get people's information than people think you know for magazines it's printed on the inside pages for websites there's always, you know, a contact email and an address online usually. So at first it was definitely just total cold, not cold calling, but I'll say like cold mailing. Now that's not the case. We actually pretty quickly signed on a PR person because I don't know if this is true for all industries, but in beauty, what starts to happen is it's about getting to the specifically the beauty editor. And that can be a little bit harder than just getting to the, into the main office, right? So we signed on a very inexpensive paper hit person uh, within basically as soon as we launched for real, which was in 2011. So in 2011, we launched with a design company and we had real labels and we went to a trade show. And at that point, I was like, this can't be. I mean, I didn't even have the time at that point to be reaching out on my own. So there are press people out there, I have to strongly emphasize this, that are not scary and do not charge a ton of money and they're really nice and they will get you features because they've been, it's about the experience, not about the cost. So Mm -hmm. this is someone who was paper hit and has gotten us virtually every single feature we've, that anyone can think of from knowing us or, you know, I'll say because maybe people don't know who we are, but you know, Vogue, Oprah, Martha Stewart, I've been on Martha Stewart radio because of her, like we, W Magazine, Real Simple, Lucky, People Style Watch, like you can get really, really good press with an individual PR person. I do think it makes a big impact to work with someone who is experienced and to not do it on your own. But I think a ton of it is also just doing it on your own. You know, Eva Chen, who is the scariest of the scary top of the line editors. I mean, I've, I've tweeted at her, I've Instagrammed at her, I've emailed her, like, you have to be unafraid. But I think it's also really important to reach out to them in a way in which you're not I mean, think about how many people are talking to them and how many. I had one editor tell me once that she gets 5,000 emails a day. So I think you just, it's important to keep that stuff in mind. So it's important to not reach out to them until you, that is something that you should be ready for. You should really feel like you have something to offer their readers that is different. You should keep in mind that they're looking for stuff that makes their job easier. But once you get the ball rolling, it's, it's a lot easier than it seems. The first Mm -hmm. one is the hardest for sure. Same Mm -hmm. as with stores. Same as with anything. It's like the first time we were like, oh my God, oh my God, like how did Goop know? Like what do do we tell them? What do we say? And same thing, I probably wrote them like a three-page email for no reason. And now it's about, you know, if I'll notice something on Eva Chen's Instagram that I think is funny or cool or relates to us, oh, I saw you were in Brooklyn, like I'll just shoot a note. Like I think that's, it's really about the personalized I don't know. I feel like I sound like a broken record because I've heard this so many times, but it makes a huge difference when you treat them like they're real people that you're just trying to connect with,
0: you know? I think I think that's a good point. Like, you know, so if somebody is just starting out, maybe they're not quite ready to send a product to a big magazine. There's no reason that you can't start connecting with these key players on Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest or, you know, wherever they hang out and start to develop a bit of a relationship, you know, make some comments and just kind of get yourself involved in that world and see what other people are doing. You know, and how are other people approaching them? And then when you are ready to pitch, I, you know, hopefully you'll have a bit of a... You'll be on their radar somewhat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't emphasize enough that I spent two years doing research. And I mean, this was post-us. We launched it in 2009, but it wasn't until 2011 that I really that I was like, let's do this for real. And that was because I spent two years watching other companies, watching other people. What do I like about this? What do I not like about this? Reading articles, reading, like just getting really clear on what was obviously resonating with people and working and what wasn't. Or for example, what was working, but what was something I wasn't willing to be as a brand. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, you do have to get super, super clear on what differentiates you and what is the thing that you really want to do for the rest of your life. Because if you don't get really clear on it, you don't want to wake up and be like, wow, I quit and I went full time. And I'm like, even more miserable now,
0: you know? Right. Yeah. No, totally. Don't create a job for yourself that you hate.
1: Yeah. Which
0: is, can
1: totally happen.
0: Mm, Definitely. If you're
1: not clear on what you really, that was one of the things for Etsy with Etsy for me is I just, I got on there and I realized, This is a beautiful, beautiful website for crafters. This is for people who hand make these gorgeous products that they sell to people. They are artisans. That is not who I am. I wish so much that I was every time I try to cook or sew something. I really wish that I was, but I'm just not. So it became, that was like actually a very, very hard realization for me. And then now I'm like, oh, I'm just I'm more inclined to be like, I want to grow a business. I don't want to craft something Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you have to really know. And I really wanted to be a crafter. I wanted to be this person that would like stand over the stove and make skincare forever and not overnight a year or two in. I was like, no, this is not for me. I want to be out there talking, you
0: know. Mm -hmm. So what role has kind of online marketing and online sales played in your business? So online sales are about half of our
1: total sales, which is actually very high for products. Products tend to, as you grow, as we grow, that will probably actually go down, but we want to keep it up as high as possible. We love selling directly to people. Online marketing is interesting because right now, even three, four years in, we have virtually no budget for advertising or spending online. So everything has been either all of our budget for marketing has been funneled into the PR person and social media and nothing else. Mm. And it is insane what you can do with both things. And I actually think particularly with social media, how much you can do. It is such a a huge asset that we are so lucky to have for free. I'm sure not for much longer. It's already getting harder as a Mm -hmm. business to reach people, but you really, really can reach people for free very, very easily via social media. We're just now this year starting to build out a budget for online marketing, but... It's huge. I mean, because I actually think word of mouth is what's biggest of all for us. And that's still, you know, in a virtual world, word of mouth really means online word of mouth.
0: Mm-hmm. So what if, uh, I'm curious about social media then, which platforms are you finding or have you used the most or that you find the most effective?
1: So now we, we actually have our, our rock star social media person, Mackenzie. She's amazing. So she, we're on everything, right? Facebook Instagram, Twitter, Google Plus, Pinterest. What's really funny is they surprisingly, so I would have thought, I think I would think Facebook. I've always thought Facebook is the biggest. They actually all kind of equally filter traffic to the site the same. Pinterest is oddly huge for us. Which is really funny because I only go on there because I want to look at beautiful things. But Mackenzie runs our Pinterest and it's like gives us crazy amounts of traffic. But I think as far as engagement and feedback, Facebook is best. And I think as far as like growing the awareness about the brand, Instagram is actually our biggest one. It's crazy. Because the amount that people like to share things on Instagram and people like to tell their friends, like Instagram is such an easy, it's just so easy to interact with Instagram. Or I don't know, I think just maybe, maybe it just has to do with our audience. And our blog is, does really well too, of course, we have a Tumblr. But I think they kind of all work together. You know, it's like Google Plus, not that big of a deal. But I think it doesn't hurt to have as much as you, there are people everywhere using every version, you know, you
0: mm-hmm. have to to try to get to all. Yeah, you get different people in different places and yep. and in different ways. Like, actually, for, so it's funny you said Pinterest because that's now my biggest traffic source. Yeah. It's just Isn't going crazy. crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's so weird. And Facebook is really taking a dive because people aren't seeing the posts. Like if you post yes. on your page now without paying for it, a lot less people see it. So yeah. it's kind of shifted around, at least for me, in the past couple of months, especially in the past six months. That's been oh my a dramatic gosh, us shift. Too.
1: I'm glad that you said that. Pinterest has actually gotten much better than Facebook, mm-hmm. which is why, though, I think you do have to start consider considering like paying f- to get in front of people.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I I think it is going that way.
1: Yeah, you just want to do it at the right time and not, you can't, I mean, as a small business, you just can't afford, we can't afford to build out these ads that we don't know what they're going to do. And we've been very lucky, but I think it's not even luck. I think it is actually very easy, you know, for a long time. And to this day, actually, like virtually any blogger that that emails in and wants to feature us on their site, we're like, great, because it doesn't matter how big a blog is. It's on Google. Yes. It will appear to people And so if you have one blog that mentions you, that's not going to be the same as if 50 blogs mention you. You know, like there is access to media everywhere around us. You just have to work harder for it. It's either work really hard to
0: get it or pay for it. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that because... I'm always, I'd say a, the majority of people listening are probably in service-based businesses like health mm-hmm. coaches or personal trainers. And I'm always talking about guest posting to start to get traction for your website yep. where you could go out and pitch to other bloggers to write for them. And that's basically what you said, but it's a product version of it. Like right. getting other bloggers to feature your products. Yep. It's brilliant. It's, I uh, mean, i do
1: that now. If someone won't feature our products, I'll be like, okay, do you want a recipe? And then they're like, Okay. Like, I'll, yeah, you do whatever they mm-hmm. need. You work really, really hard when you can't afford to just buy the feature. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Oh, you want a quote? I'll give you a quote. Oh, do you want to work with me? Like, you know, whatever it takes to get them to feature you. I think as you grow, you have to kind of filter that down a little bit. But when you're starting out, there should be no, like nothing is too small. That's how I feel about it.
0: Totally. You know, it's funny because Google plus is like one of those things you'd mentioned that before. Like it's something that you kind of wonder, Oh, is anybody on that? You know, are people using it? But just recently, and it's going to air, I think this episode will have aired by the time this goes live. I was just chatting with, with someone that runs a fitness business and she now has 150,000 followers and it's massively her biggest social media network and our biggest traffic really? source and she did it through google hangouts so it seems like there is a huge audience there it's just trying to figure out like how does that work like all yeah. of these things is how does that work for your brand are your people there how can you best leverage it because you can't just put the same thing on every platform it's like
1: that is kind of absolutely it. right absolutely right like you can't put JPEGs full of words on Instagram and think you're going to get followers.
0: Can you can you tell us a couple of your Instagram tips? Because we haven't really talked about Instagram yet. So for
1: Instagram, I think the number one thing is that it's people are going so quickly through their feeds on there. It's not about words. It really is just about, I mean, this seems so intuitive, but it's really not. It is just about beautiful photography. It's not even about Oh, I think this is interesting. So, one of the reasons the breaking point for me realizing I could no longer do our social media is I just find myself to be interesting. That is not good business. Like if I see a cute baby on the street and I'm like, I want to post a picture of a cute baby that has nothing to do with my brand. And I very quickly realized, oh, I'm just putting stuff up that I want to put up that belongs on a personal Instagram, not on a company Instagram. It needs to relate very clearly to what you're doing and it but it needs to also look Awesome. So that's why food photos do really well because food kind of tends to relate to what ev- to everyone in some way. But you can't just go on and be like, look at this like ugly eggplant that I caught and e- caught cut up. It needs to be like, look at this like I managed to. I mean, utilize the filters. And if you can't take good photos, find good photos or find someone who can take good photos because it really needs to be in a split second. You have to get someone to be like, oh, pretty. I'm gonna like that. And I will also say someone told me this and it turned out to be true. If you can hit, there's a sweet spot that once you hit it, it just kind of, you kind of like keep going. So like when we hit 2000 followers, it just now we don't really work that hard for the followers. So we're almost at 4,000 now. And then I've heard 4,000 is another like sort of sweet spot where it just keeps going. But mm-hmm. I think it's about having a really cohesive, I will regularly go to our full Instagram profile and just make sure that all of the photos are cohesive and they go together and they that you get a glimpse of the brand instantly by looking at the Instagram. And then I think from there it's about being creative, but it's got to, it's very different. Brands that do really. well on instagram are doing weird totally different things generally i think ones that do really well is a photo where the the caption is really interesting right Mm -hmm. so like humans of new york who is now famous mostly from instagram it's because they are tremendously amazing pictures of people but then with a quote that just like kind of blows you away so it's about it's just different you're totally right like you can't one of my pet peeves is when people filter twitter messages into their Facebook. Like that is two totally different Mm -hmm. audiences, Mm -hmm. you
0: know? Completely. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. And you've got hashtags in Facebook that aren't supposed to be there. Or then yeah. like in the the opposite way too, if your Facebook goes to your Twitter, then you've got like half cut off messages and it's totally. just, yeah, it's just a weird. mess. Well, <laughs> we're kind of, you know, starting to run low on time, but I did want to talk a little bit about natural beauty with you right at the end. So I was wondering, cause you and I both love that. My so favorite that,
1: and your favorite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so can you
0: share with us your, some like one or two of your favorite natural beauty tips?
1: Oh my gosh. Yes. So use less. I mean, you know, they are probably going to be all things that you've said before, but that's, that's okay. fine, Stay right? It. We're just Stay drilling it, it in. Yep. Use less stuff in general. And I feel like this, I cannot overemphasize this point. And the way that everyone should know that I really mean it is I always include our products in this. So people love the idea of a crazy complex routine, a million different products. The less you use on your skin, the better your skin will get. And I cannot understand why this has not become a mainstream
0: thing yet, yeah, I well, know
1: I it's really scary, but it's very it's true.
0: really scary because I think people like a lot of the beauty industry is really built on fear mm-hmm. and like feeling making you feel like you're less than like you're not totally. very good and and so you kind of have this sense like if you're not doing a hundred thousand things to prevent aging like Well, I guess it's the sense that you need to try as many things as possible. Because what if you miss that one and then suddenly you look hideous? Totally.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh, Wait. I mean, people will come to me and they'll be like, but if I don't wash my face tonight, won't I break out tomorrow? that is so false. Like it is crazy how much, I mean, it is entirely the industry's fault and the marketing is like a disaster. That's another reason I got into it because I was like, this is part of my language bullshit. It is crazy how women are being made to feel about their cosmetics when it's just not true. So that's like, the first thing I always say to people before they try our stuff, before they try to change anything, before you change anything, just cut back, cut back as much as you possibly can. And if you can manage to not be afraid and cut back all the way to water, it is the best way to like quiet your skin and calm it down. Mm-hmm. You're
0: freaking everybody out now thinking about not having mascara. But
1: <laughs> I know. Take, I'm sure. But no, you're, 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 so you're right. just home, you know, I don't know. It's really scary. But I think it's a day, like literally one day makes such a big difference that if people can get themselves there and if you can't then it then you just stick to a little bit less Do yeah a little bit just less, using
0: a little less is yeah it's really good
1: and then secondly i actually would say it's not so much about the products it's about what you're doing in your whole life you know it's,
0: yes woo, i'm so glad you said that
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's 90 percent what your lifestyle is like and particularly your food and 10 percent what your products are so like you were saying trying to find all these Being afraid that you haven't found the miracle product that's going to solve everything, you're going to stay afraid forever because you're never going to find it. And that is all marketing baloney that is not true. You cannot anti-age. You cannot solve wrinkles with a product. You cannot despite chronic breakouts with a product, like none of that is real. That is all made up. If it was real, we would all
0: be using the same product. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That is so true about, because I do a lot with home remedies too. And if you have like a thousand different remedies for one thing, it generally means that none of them work.
1: Exactly. That's a great way to put it. Because cool. otherwise
0: everybody would use the one thing that worked.
1: Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, the reason I got into what I'm doing is because the natural remedies do work. You think they are too good to be true and they are actually that good. Like aloe will do exactly all the magical things you can read about it doing online, but it can't reverse the way that you eat. It can't undo mm-hmm all the damage you're doing yourself otherwise. So it's, you know, I got into selling these products because I was like, oh my God, no one is talking about, or you can't go to a shelf and buy the stuff that is as good as the stuff that's in your kitchen cabinet for you. So I really wanted to do that, like kitchen cabinet skincare. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I can't, you know, a lot of times people will even come to us and they'll be like, my skin is so much better from using your stuff, but I can't get rid of this thing you know this rash i've had my whole life or this these breakouts i've had my whole life and i'm like that's not how the, that's not how products work you mm-hmm. have to think about everything your whole life
0: mm-hmm. you might have to change how you eat yeah shocking but serious part <laughs> no one wants to hear that but it's true mm-hmm. and the good thing about cutting back on products and using less is that you can actually get really nice stuff so you can have a few products of like yours that are just right. beautiful and that are really good for your skin and you don't need to keep you know, going out and spending hundreds of dollars every month on skincare.
1: And you pinpoint what the problem was. It is like an elimination diet for your skin. You find the
0: stuff that works and you get rid of the stuff that doesn't work.
1: Mm -hmm. I love it.
0: I love it. It's so simple. <laughs> anyway, so tell us, tell everyone out there where they can find you if they'd like to get in touch. Ah, with
1: so us we are, uh, the company is SW Basics and our site is swbasicsofbk, like Brooklyn.com. So
0: swbasicsofbk.com. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much for being on. This is really great. Thanks, Amanda. This is so fun. Have a good one. You too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Don't forget, you can get all the show notes, everything we talked about in this episode and links back to SW Basics website back at my website, which is wellpruneronline.com slash 21. And if you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you would tell your friends to spread the word so everyone can make a bigger impact with their health and wellness business. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you back here next week in the next episode.